Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and this episode is episode number 54, A Very 90s Christmas. So we'll be taking you back to the early 90s and some of those wonderful TV specials and even Disney Channel specials uh, that featured the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and a brand new, no, semi-brand new Disney MGM Studios back then. But before we get to that, as always, introduced everybody on the show. Um, coming to us from Ohio, as always, Mr. JT Kuzier. How are you doing tonight, JT? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, it's It's been a year. Man, I can't believe we're yeah. wrapping up. I was just thinking about this. You know, I don't want to uh, congratulate ourselves too much here, but we've had a great, fun year. Uh, it's been awesome. But yeah, we're, we got some snow today. I don't know about you guys. A little snow. We had about uh, 16 inches the other the last week, and we're, we're melting now, and we'll be back to more later this week. All so. right. Coming from Tampa, Florida tonight, as always, too, is Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Good. Mele Kalikimaka, everybody. Yes. No snow down there at Balmy 75. You have shorts on. I'm, I'm jealous. No snow. Hot cocoa right here, ready to go. Oh. So, are you serious? Yeah. Hot or lukewarm? Like, what do you drink down there? Is it? <laughs> Still drink it hot. You still drink it? Okay. Right. I, don't, I mean, day. after they're not they're not savages. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and coming into us from Philadelphia, Mr. Brian P. Miles, the only individual when I sent the team a photo of George Washington from the National Portrait Gallery, he would be the only one to identify not only that it was George Washington, but who painted it. So I was pretty impressed with that, Brian. And welcome to the episode, as always. Seasons greetings and salutations from Philadelphia, where we do know that Gilbert Stewart painted that famous painting of George Washington that Dolly Madison saved when the British were coming to burn the White House. And she saved it. What'd she do? Like tuck it away somewhere or uh, c- cut it out of the frame, and they took it with them when they ran away from the White House. And what a story! Okay. Then the British troops came and burned it and the White House, and then we had to rebuild it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So nice, if anybody ever gets down to D.C., Portrait Guard, a lot of fun. All right, well, before we get to our main topic, uh, we have a comment from last month. Uh, this comes from Carrie Hugh in Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, she says she just listened to episode 53, where another listener asked about rare items from World Showcase Country. So remember we talked about that last month, guys? I think we pointed out the uh, Ariba's Brothers ca- uh, ca- Crystal Castle and a few things. Um, and she says, uh, I'm sure I won't be the first or only person to mention that there was, or as of my last visit a year ago, it was still there, a very expensive and elaborate jade carving for sale in the China Pavilion House of Good Fortune. 
Um, it was priced a couple thousand dollars. She went back to the parks for the first time since the late 80s in 2016. She saw the jade carving and remembered one of it, something similar from her childhood. So given the hefty price tag, she was wondering if that could be the same ones. So she says, maybe it's been there for 37 years in that glass case. So kind of interesting. So do, have you guys um, seen or know what that is? Or do you think it's in the same ballpark or, as the Arabian Brothers Castle? I need to look now. I want to go see this thing. If it's yeah. The, the good House of Good Fortune shop. So kind of interesting. So if anybody else out there has any other large scale or large cost items that are floating around world showcase we'd love to know about them so all right well jt in that snow uh you got the mailbag you kind of had to drag it through a couple inches but uh i hope they're dry and sorted out on the radiator there you can uh go through this mailbag for us yeah i hung them on a string here like dark room style like in oh, the nice. office I got <laughs> little some... paper clips i mean yeah little, uh... yeah yeah so they've they've dried out the the ink has quit running so here we go because all of our listeners handwrite the letters with a quill right. pen. <laughs> all well, that's just like Martha Washington would do in, uh, in George Washington. See, it's, exactly. all, it's a great circle. Connecting here. First one is from Richard. He says he plans on coming to uh, the half marathon in April. Uh, I assume he's talking Star Wars because that's what's happening in April. Uh, but he wants to ask our expert opinion. He'll be on property for one day when he'll have to do a training run for about 13 miles. Uh, unless he's doing a different half marathon, I'm not sure. Is there a path or a road he could go on that would take him to the old runway uh, that the Wed guys used in 1970 when they were building the Magic Kingdom? Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's talking about the the Stoll Port, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, now. I'll give you two pieces of advice here, Richard. Number one, if you're following the Disney training plan, don't run the 13 miles right before the marathon. You don't need to do that. Make your 13 miles the actual run. But if you're there just doing a training run, I've never seen... It's like if you veer right off the main drag there to Fort Wilderness, um, it's you turn right, you know, kind of past the Magic Kingdom... Uh, a ticket booth or what? Not ticket booth. The the what do you guys call that? The the parking plaza. The, the parking pl- yeah. The the yeah, parking toll. You're gonna booth, pass right. that. You turn right towards Fort Wilderness. On your left, you can see what is left of the Stollport. There's lots of storage there, containers. Sometimes it's covered in construction equipment, different things. They stage things there. You're not gonna really be able to run there. I mean. I guess you could attempt to. I've seen people walking various places at Disney, but it's not a, a easily accessible place. Now, as far as running 13 whole miles at Disney, that I've found to be a tough ask. Um, I mean, Fort Wilderness is a good option because you can loop a lot of places and run through the loops. Um, I did a training run one time through Saratoga Springs, and I ended up at the Treehouse Villas, which is cool. So I was running across golf courses and things like that, and that seemed to be okay. Um, but for big high mileage, it's kind of tricky. Not that saying that 13's a ton, but that's that's a lot of a lot of land to cover there. And for the races, they actually have you on the actual highways to get that mileage in. So yep. best of luck in your quest. I, I'm sure you could look over there as you drive by, even like you know maybe even stop real quick and take a quick picture. But I don't know if I would actually go running over there due to all the all the worker activity and stuff. Yeah, and if he wants the actual road names, at the, you're making a right onto Vista Boulevard. And then if you okay. continue up World Drive just before you make the right to go on Timberland Drive, Timberline Drive to go to Wilderness Lodge, uh, there's some there's some pathways and you know, parking lots there. So, 
If you do wind up running it uh, or walking through it and you see any airport, airport markers on the pavement, take a <laughs> shot. We'd love to see them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's very wide. It's like a really wide road. I mean, it's, it's like a runway they've just used to put stuff. So, All right, next up is Brian. He says, very random question for the folks at Retro WDW, and he tagged how on this. How early was their hold music when you called Disney World? Uh, does anyone know... Uh, or that was there a music loop when calling in early 1971 to make reservations? What do we know on that? We don't know anything about that. <laughs> I, they, they, they didn't have any music on hold because Walt personally answered all of your calls back then. <laughs> now, what I did find out is that music on hold systems go back to the 1960s. So it's entirely plausible. And, and what I found out is that the gentleman who invented it actually owned a... He owned some sort of facility that had a metal building, and he accidentally attached some of the wires from his phone system onto the frame of the metal building, and it pulled in radio signals. And the radio just showed up on their phone system one day. So he figured out what was causing it to happen, and then turned it into a sellable product, at first with a radio receiver, and then finally, you know, with, with tapes and things. So... The, the technology did exist then. Uh, I would invite our listeners, if, if any of you happen to work there in the 70s or 80s, uh, and you know when they first had music on hold, please write us and, and let us know, because uh, I'm, I'm fascinated now. Yeah, this might be a, a posting we could make to that. We worked at Disney in the 70s group and see if anybody, they're usually a good uh, resource. So Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they had whatever the latest technology was, you know, at because the, they would have bought it all new. So, uh, so they probably had whatever the latest and greatest was in, in you know, 1969, 1970. Yeah. And then I'm sure it got revamped in the eighties when Epcot came and all right. So thanks, uh, Brian. Appreciate that question. Next up, uh, Jason Burley, Jason, uh, been catching up here. He's been binge listening. He's, he's getting there. Uh, but he says on a few of the older episodes, he's heard us uh, mention retro WDW logo pins. Are they still available? They are. Uh, yeah. You can go to retromagic.org right now, uh, make a small donation for a, a pin. We have some various ones on there. We also have our, our ornament collection and uh, a few other things that are tax-deductible deductible donations to the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. Uh, so that's retromagic.org, Jason. We also, uh, he wrote, I came across some photos from my parents' trip to Disney World in 1976, including several of the Christmas stage at the castle. Uh, we'd love to see those, Jason. And then finally he says, I was reading a book uh, about Epcot and came across a funny photo. It's in the chapter of uh, the UK Pavilion. There's a construction photo on page 219. I'm uh, opening it up right now. Okay, and we'll do this live. Walt Disney's yep. Epcot. Uh, on the roof of one of the buildings, there's a tarp that someone has painted saying, so-and-so is a mama's boy. Uh, just wondering <laughs> if you've taken notice of that. So Todd is taking notice now to see. I, I have a 10x loop because it's really, really hard uh, to see. And let me let me take another look well, Explain that for it. people that aren't in the hobbying world. The 10x loop, <laughs> Todd. It's a small magnifier that you hold up to your <laughs> so eye. So Todd's got a right? magnifying glass. Let's yeah. Just... <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So hold on here. I'm going to do this I want to find out who's a mama's boy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I want to see if I can get a 10X loop in my office. It's, it's, it's really odd. It looks like B, 
O O I V. Be sure to drink your oval. Oval team, right? <laughs> A crummy commercial. Yes. So yes, B O O I V is, is a mama's, mama's boy. boy. Boovy. It's right on the. Uh, it's definitely. Let's see here. It's definitely the Which UK pavilion. Is it? This UK. is over. This is. This would be um, on the roof facing the lagoon over the Rose and Crown. Which is hilarious. Like you just know, Dick Nunes never saw that because <laughs> some guy would be getting thrown off the roof. So B O O I V. I'm curious what. What if you found the guy? Just calling to see if you loved your mama. <laughs> How's mama doing? Well, so that's, that's very exciting, Jason. We appreciate that. So this again for our, our listeners. He's in the Walt Disney's Epcot book. Page yep. 219. If you know who or what Booev is, uh, let us know. And Jason, we'll, we'll report back as we dig into this. But he's, he is or isn't a mama's boy. We haven't confirmed. That's, so It's on my office bookshelf. I can't wait to look at it tomorrow. <laughs> bring, I don't bring have a, I don't have a spyglass. You <laughs> bring your loop. You're going to need Bring it. your bring telescope. Your, get your mighty microscope. And shrink yourself right. down. I'll, I'll, I'll scan it in at like 10,000 DPI for everybody. You know? Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to wrap up the, the mailbag here with a, a digital piece of mail. Uh, Lainey mm. left us a voicemail on the retro hotline. So let's go ahead and listen now. Hi, my name is Lainey Ty, and I am questioning. I have a memory of a baby being born in the bathroom next to Star Traders. I mention it to my kids every time we walk by there that somebody um, – gave birth in a toilet, believe it or not. And I, I, I'm sure it's true, but if you could look into that, and is that the only birth that happened at Walt Disney World? I'd be curious to find that out as well. Um, good luck finding that info for me. Thank you. Bye-bye. So thanks, Lainey, for that. And I think Howe has uh, some info on the birth statistics on Disney property. <laughs> I actually remember when this happened because it was all over the local news channels um the child was born uh in the toilets not um not by mickey star traders but the ones that were underneath the skyway over by space mountain uh okay and and the story was that on the night of november 8th 1997 it was a particularly cold evening and uh Two ladies on vacation wandered into the bathroom after the fireworks were over, the fantasy, the old fantasy in the sky fireworks, and found a baby with its umbilical cord and placenta in the toilet. And it, like, you know, emergency services were called. It's like the, the baby was fine, but it, like it was a big mystery of who would abandon this baby in a toilet. And um, with Within a day or two, I think, you know, it's like they took the baby to the hospital, took care of it. And then I don't know who named it, but somewhere in the media, because, you know, Aladdin was just out and the baby looked, for lack of a better term, somewhat ethnic. They decided to name the baby Jasmine, <laughs> which is kind of terrible, I think. So... Baby Jasmine, and this like there is this big mystery around, you know, who is who is Baby Jasmine's parents, and um, it actually took uh, a little bit of time to to sort out who it was. Um, she went into foster care uh, at first, and then what happened is uh, someone came forward. Uh, there was a f 
a family um, that was visiting uh, from the Philippines that came to Orlando and stayed with friends and and went to the park. And the mom turned out to be uh, Madonna Arcelona, a 43-year-old tourist from the Philippines. She was, have you ever seen that show, like, I didn't know I was pregnant? Do you remember when that was on? Like, yeah. yeah. So apparently this was one of those, I don't know if that was her situation, but like the rest of the family didn't know that she was pregnant because she was apparently just heavy set. So they just assumed, you know, they didn't know. Uh, they recalled they were watching the fireworks and she excused herself to go to the bathroom because she had stomach pains and was in there for a long time. And then she, she came out and said nothing. She went back to the Philippines without saying anything to the family that was in the United States. Um, and after the story came out, the aunt and uncle that she was staying with kind of figured out maybe it was her. Uh, so they got a, a blood test done with, um, apparently she has, she was, uh, this would have been this mother's ninth child. Uh, and, and that's one of those things that I, that I remember here, uh, watching that show. I didn't know I was pregnant. It's like, it was typically like fifth, sixth pregnancy. It's like where they didn't realize they were pregnant. So I guess that's kind of a common thing. Uh, they did it. She, she had, I think an 18 month year old, uh, 18 month old sister. So they did a blood test with the mom and the sister and it matched. So they knew that that was the mom. Uh, the Orlando police department put on an arrest warrant for the mother. But since there's, I don't know if it's not worth extraditing or if they don't have the extradition things that, but, and if, if she ever comes back to Orlando, she would be arrested for child abandonment and child endangerment, but they're not bringing, they wouldn't bring her back to, uh, Orlando for justice. Um, the baby was in foster care for a few months, and then finally the aunt and uncle ended up uh, adopting the baby, as well as the 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 eighteen month eighteen month old uh, relative that was in the Philippines, and they apparently now live in Boston, and they didn't they didn't stick with the the word the name Jasmine, uh, and they're trying to, of course put the uh, the situation behind them, but. Uh, and the answer is no. This is this is not the only time that it's happened. Um, I was watching a, a random episode of that. I didn't know I was pregnant. And there was another case where a woman didn't know she was pregnant and gave birth in Walt Disney World. Uh, you know, I bet it happens not frequently, but often enough that, you know, they have stuff in place for it. Because, you know, you never know. Kids are Kids are born all the time and p- people go on vacation now quite a lot i see pregnant ladies there all the time and i'm sure you know my wife went when she was pregnant with uh with our uh, youngest so you know i'm sure it happens quite a bit there is another report in, in 2018 november 5th 2018 a newborn baby was handed to a stranger outside the animal kingdom lodge all right well good job how Okay, so thanks a lot, Lainey. Appreciate that uh, call. If you would like to leave us one of these new fancy digital messages, 97871Retro, uh, your voice could actually be on the show instead of your words or both, technically. Uh, and if you'd like to just write us a traditional letter, podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, you can tweet at us, you can direct message us, however you want to get your question or comment to us, uh, please feel free to do so, and you could end up on a future episode. 
All right, well, it's time for this month's Audio Rewind. And how, you know, you've been picking out these uh, different rewinds, and I really like that you've, you're getting the listeners last month kind of prepped for the year of the film next year. Right? Oh, of course. 2020 is, is all part of the yeah, deeply methodical plan. Exactly. So you've got them psyched up for it. Um, if you've seen Knives Out, this is nothing compared. <laughs> I have my Don't process say anything. is nothing compared to that. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go see that too. So uh, <laughs> we will have another year of the film hint, or at least uh, letting you at, at the end of the show here, letting everybody know where we are going in January 2020 in that episode. But anyway, um, let's see if you guys guessed the answer to last month's audio rewind. Nice. All right, and if you guessed The Great Movie Ride, you were incorrect. This was actually Vincent Price's introduction to Sorcery in the Skies at the Disney MGM Studios. So we do have a winner this month. Congratulations to Jesse Edwards. We'll get the prize packed out to you shortly. And uh, I think, guys, it's only appropriate that this is the holiday episode here and Christmas and everything. I think we should give away one of our ornament sets. Um, and so uh, for those who could guess the answer to this month's audio rewind. If you think you know the answer to this month's audio rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All correct entries will be entered into a random drawing to determine the winner. All entries must be received by January 10th, 2020. All right. Well, it is time for this month's main topic. And as the title of the episode states, a very 90s Christmas. So we are getting into that time period where the 90s are becoming nostalgic and retro. It's hard to believe. Um, so we are going to actually go through three different um, television specials and Christmas Day parades that occurred in the early 90s. First, JT is going to take us through the Walt Disney World Very Merry Christmas Parade from 1993. And then uh, Brian will take us through a musical Christmas at Walt Disney World from 1993, which was actually aired on the Disney Channel. And then how we'll close it out with a Very Merry Christmas Parade from 1995. Um, you're going to hear a lot of uh, similarities and differences and um, the setup and kind of the alignment of both of the parades was very, very similar. Um, I've watched them all. I'm going to provide some additional color commentary here and such as we go through. But JT, I'm going to turn it over to you. This is really getting into your, you know, your expertise area. The <laughs> early to mid 90s is, you know, what you remember the most. Yes. Right. So. This is, uh, you're going to be excited for this year, too, seeing that it's the year of the movie. We're going to probably spend a lot of time over in the studios. Oh, too, I so. love it. The studio's my favorite. This is, uh, I was 10 when this one came out, this first one. So it was, you know, right, right when you kind of start remembering things a little bit. And right, right. I totally didn't appreciate Disney yet, you know, for the way we appreciate it now. But I, I enjoyed it and I had fun with it. But I can remember these parades were always, they were always aired on Christmas Day, at least, yeah. you know, my memory. Live, too. And imagine a 10-year-old me, though, you know, you've got, you know, this this pile of presents. We were fortunate to get gifts and things. And it was always my aunt calling saying, like, hey, the Disney parade's on. Because we were, you know, a Disney <laughs> family. We'd all go down together. And it was always like a shock because you just were like, is, if this day couldn't get any better, oh, my gosh, there's a you know, flip on the show. And, and there's Regis Philbin and, and Joan London. There, there they are going up, you know, Main Street on a sleigh. Uh, and that's kind of where we start with these. They, 
I, I do dig though. I look back on this and I love these these panning shots they have and the, the bumpers of the the helicopter flyovers of things. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's some beautiful <clears throat> footage in there of that for sure. Yeah, it's so and this good. is pre this is pre drone, <laughs> right? Like you said, this is a real this is really they had to put the expense of a helicopter flying over the Caribbean beach and some of the clips you'll you'll recognize from other videos too. They've certainly reused a lot of this footage over the years too. It's so cool though, and I was sitting there thinking like, man, I wonder if somebody's actually there just seeing a helicopter come trucking by like low you know, low low altitude. That'd be super awesome. But uh this one is like you say, Christmas of ninety three. It starts us off with a, a. I don't remember Robbie Benson. What was his big thing? <laughs> he was the voice of the Beast in Beauty and the yeah. Beast. Oh, is that, that why that, he's on all this? That's why he's front and center in 1993. Yes. Yep. Okay, so that that explains it. All right. Well, and he's kind of like the reporter on the street type guy. Yeah, right? he we just kind of some... set this up that Kathy Lee and and uh, Regis are kind of. They're kind of like the Matt Lauer and Katie Couric of the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day Parade back then, right? They sat in one seat. Yeah, they rolled up. They they start off, they roll up in like a a wheeled sleigh down Main Street, and they do the, you know, they look at the camera and introduce us. And then they're kind of perched in a spot. I think it's almost near near the flagpole at at Magic Kingdom, looking back down towards Main Street is is behind them. Um, And that's sort of where they, they emcee the whole show for us there. It, one of the other things that pops up, there's these these great early '90s bumpers, you know, brought to you by Kraft, and you know those type of things. And one of them, which I recall so much back then, was the promotion and how you can chime in. Is they really pushed the Kissimmee Saint Cloud area? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and, and I remember, like, you know, getting uh, an infomercial, you know, or a pamphlet saying in the mail, "Stay in Kissimmee Saint Cloud," and I would always be like, well, "We stay at Disney. What's what's the difference? What's the benefit?" But why? Why was it pushed so hard back then? Is there a reason? So I'm guessing, you know, this is the time when they finally expanded 192 and the Irlo Bronson Highway and made, you know, that strip a big deal. So, you know, if you couldn't afford to stay at Disney, it's like that was the next closest place that you could stay. And I, I believe it's Kissimmee St. Cloud because the the government body is like the Kissimmee St. Cloud something something organization. And that's what everything was promoted against. So today you have programs like Visit Florida that was a you know a state sponsored thing to get tourism to come. That was a city or county sponsored initiative to try to get people to come and stay and spend money, you know, in the Kissimmee St. Cloud area. Okay, I was to say I I remember those. There were so many commercials on over that time period mm-hmm. about Kissimmee. It was a it, and they a lot of them were even run in our area where where I lived up up. You know, up in the tri-state area, I remember seeing them. Not and they barely mention Disney. Sometimes they're just like, "Come on down." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know. Well, a couple things. First, on the that that they did not yet open the All Stars, so they had no value resorts. No, we're going to touch so, on that, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that's being promoted in <laughs> yes. your show. Yeah. But before you go any further, I, I, a couple of notes about the Christmas parade. Uh, the first one was 1983. And at this time, the ones we're talking about tonight, they were still broadcast live. They used to do those live in person on Christmas Day. So you were seeing a live feed. Now everything's recorded in early November yep. Uh, yep. And, and packaged up. But back then, you were Robbie Benson and Regis and all the acts and all that was all happening live on Christmas Day. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you uh, two two other additional facts. 
this was not a program that the networks like willingly put on like this was a paid advertisement that was placed <laughs> on christmas morning uh that was done entirely as as an advertisement uh for you know walt disney world so this wasn't like someone saying like hey let's put on a show it's like it was basically an hour and a half infomercial and before you blame it on michael eisner and his uh penchant for promotion it actually started a year before michael eisner became the ceo they started under the ron miller administration yeah and if you think back back then they didn't really do quote-unquote advertising you know they They didn't didn't buy any commercials and spot yeah so like this this you know this was a big deal to do that so and did you know that this this show has actually won emmy awards uh the 1992 special actually won a daytime emmy award for outstanding achievement in costume design i think primarily for like the uh the dancing uh christmas trees and some of the other things that that we will see over and over so back to my assimilation earlier you know of of, uh, what kathy lee i i i Robbie Benson, he run, he's he's kind of like Al Roker running around throughout the parade route. And yeah, he starts things, us off. Right? He's you know? got his kid outside the uh, the main entrance there, and he's getting people jacked up, and then he runs in with his kid. You know, come on with me, and then it turns into the whole hoopla of let's start the parade off. Um, we also have he's wearing a, a red red plaid with a blue turtleneck. He's well, extremely just... he's extremely excited too. Yeah, I, 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 he annoys me a little bit. But... <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> I, I I will say. For having won an Emmy for outstanding costume design, <laughs> the one thing I see over and over again is that the clothes that the hosts are wearing are typically terrible. Oh, Kathy well, Lee is, takes the cake. She's got that wardrobe, As you know thing. how wardrobe and costume are two different things. That's <laughs> true. That's but but the whole time true. I'm watching them, all I can think about is, you want a cafe latte? I can get you a cafe latte. I'll get you a <laughs> cafe latte as I want. Like that's, that's what Robbie Benson throws off. Yes, it is very much so. So our, our main players, we mentioned Regis, uh, uh, Joan London, and Kathy Lee, even though she's not with Regis, she is at the MGM Studios. And I will say, if you uh, you look at her, she's standing in front of the, uh, the marquee there, the big, tall uh, archway thing that says MGM Studios. Uh, I, I noticed these these kids wearing the the Mickey hats that I I rocked at that era. They're the the embroidered ball cap with the M and Mickey hat. I was like, yep, had that hat. And we also have the so timely for the early '90s, Bill Nye the Science Guy as a. Uh, oh yeah. And I'm just gonna you kind of use uh, deductive reasoning here. Which park do you think they stationed him at? It's got to be Epcot. It's got to be Epcot is right. And I, what was the year? I was going to look at this. I didn't even look. When did he join Universe of Energy? Was it around this time after this? Oh, uh, 1996. Okay, so we have a few years before that. But, but they were permitted. So, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, his show actually got switched from being on broadcast TV to being broadcast on the Disney Channel, and they produced new episodes on the Disney Channel of his show. So I think that was the first introduction. And then as they did his show, there was actually a small exhibit uh, about him in Interventions uh, at Epcot. Okay, makes sense. So and now we currently, he's suing Disney for not getting enough money. Did you guys see that? Like like right yeah. now. <laughs> so we're coming full circle here with Bill Nye. Um, I was, there, go ahead. There is one other thing I want to point out. That, you know, we mentioned this was live TV. Um and I don't know if you guys caught it, but at the, the 838 mark, let me let me drop it in our chat here. Uh, take a look. This is going on, and they quickly cut away. All of a sudden, it goes by, and the janitor comes up, and the horses have left 
uh, a little a little uh, present on the uh, <laughs> on the pavement, and the, the guy, the custodian, comes up to sweep it away, and they quickly cut to another camera. Oh. So it does prove that it's pretty. It's live. It definitely is live. Oh my gosh! And there's splash tacular footage in here. Sorry, I don't want to like. Yeah, I know we're all over the stuff. place. This is a lot of stuff. It is. About. It's a good special. That's. I will say the uh, as much as I'm not. I didn't go to college here. I, t- I was watching. I see Ohio State marching band from Ohio State in Columbus right here, which starts yeah. there. And we also have uh, a numerous guests from Cleveland and Kent State and different things with uh, Robbie Benson throughout. So if you're one of the few people in Ohio that listen, this is definitely uh, got some Ohio references. I, I am more the type of person, I'm watching the parade, and I don't get as excited about the elves jumping around and the, the snowmen and that sort of stuff, but I, I did get uh, uh, blown away by Snow White ice skating on the float. That that float rolls by, and Snow yeah. White is actually in ice skates, and I, I, don't, I assume it's real ice. It's not like a fake faux ice or anything. The, this float actually has real ice on it. Yeah. No, it is a it is a faux ice. Oh, it is. It's a yeah. There's this vinyl like material mm. that was developed during that time period that you could uh, they they used it at at a show on uh, at like Bonavista too, and you could skate on it. Yeah, they, they also uh, used it for the Jolly Holidays dinner show at the Contemporary, um, in the well, ball in the ballroom of the Contemporary. Yeah. Oh, you thought it's, it had an actual refrigeration? I really was hoping it yeah. did. It was dripping condensation. I, I, the whole I've way actually down the skated <laughs> on it. Uh, one of our shore towns in South Jersey uh, had it out uh, for Christmas, uh, for like Thanksgiving weekend a couple of years ago, and it's uh, it's odd. I don't have any any other way to say it than it's odd. It's <laughs> but still, putting on a float yeah. is a great idea oh yeah like it's very cool and it must it's genuinely it has to be difficult to like skate on a moving well, when they would do a triple Mike, lutz like, between floats was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> so the jt are you gonna get into the, the the little the music video of typhoon lagoon there is a couple bumpers and different things there's a music video with that it it uh yeah. man i have the minute mark here it's like around 14, 13 or so ish. yeah 13, there's some elves coming down the slide uh there's elves on the beach and they're singing a song and spelling out the world va- word vacation yeah. because they're supposedly on vacation elves, now, now the christmas, christmas is over. over kathy lee told us all the elves right. where do they go on vacation disney world disney world the sharks are in there they too. are the shark reef makes an ap- appearance which i when I did the shark reef, they could have sped up this footage. The sharks were down low and kind of chill. These these elves really stirred them up because they jump in, <laughs> and then they're they're zipping around real fast. But um, yeah, I don't know. They're... If you're anybody who knows the stock footage well, you'll notice cut amongst the um, the actual dance numbers and things with the elves and penguins and snowmen and whatnot. Uh, you will certainly notice a lot of stock footage cut in that one with the kid kind of going down spread eagle down the little mini slide is in there uh, a couple other pieces that we've seen hundreds of times over so uh yeah it, it's it's um mildly annoying as well <laughs> it's a it's a very good piece the after that we we run into which i i would argue that this wasn't the same exact moment as the parade like this had to be pre-recorded be, unless they pause the parade and they cut to this there's this song and dance number in front of the castle where everybody's wearing all white the white reindeer um, oh yeah and goofy's up on top just acting a fool like he's up on like level two of the the castle way up high and they're down on the stage singing and dancing and that whole thing um i don't know i wasn't that 
super excited about it, but Doofy does appear out of dry ice at some point from the roof, and he's <laughs> down on the main stage then. So very cool there. And then he and was it he and Donald are, are are in a sleigh, and it rises about twenty five feet up underneath. It's basically a, a scissor, scissor lift with some uh, yeah. some Christmassy glittery fabric wrapping it around, like it almost looks like uh, silvery shiny stuff. Just yeah, yeah. It's it does give us a nice shot of one of the gargoyles on the castle, which I didn't really realize was there. Yeah. Oh, when he's up on top. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, that's a fallen rain gargoyle or whatever. So moving along, this got right to me, uh, right to my memories. About uh, I'm looking here. It's about the 27 minute mark or so. We we have to make a trip to to the MGM Studios with oh yeah our friend Kathy Lee and. And a great flyover with the the, the Earful Tower with the uh, Santa hat on. Yeah, Fantastic. and this this is a memory of mine. I don't know if anybody else had it. Uh, we were there around Christmas, and we did the backstage, uh, the backlot tour back then. This was ninety a year before actually. And our tram driver he told us that the our tram tour guide he told us that the the driver of our tram was the one that put the hat on the Earful Tower. Oh. He hoisted it up. There. And I was like. Really, that's that's very interesting. It you know, twelve years old. I was thinking about that, but um, so that <laughs> it's we moved to, to Kathy Lee Gifford, and she is the star of the show at MGM as the guests were, but she was actually filming a real show here. And I curse you guys for ruining it for me once again, because to me, I would have thought five <laughs> years ago she was actually filming a show there called Winter Wonderland. <laughs> Um, but she, I, I, she walks onto a a set, a bustling movie set, TV production set, wardrobes rolling by, the the everything's out there, the cue cards, and she says the line, which is so pompous, and, and she goes, "Look at everybody, so excited to see me," and I was just like, "Gosh, you've got to be kidding me! You can't!" So so thrilled I'm here. It's like I guess. The, so she goes through and they do the whole like here's how movies are made and here's the Oh well hold on. No, it's not just here's how movies are made. Two or three times in this entire show, they stress that these are how films are actually made. Yes. Yeah. Actually made. They're actually made this way. You're gonna go behind the scenes. Yep. They and learn so much. And they pushed actually it made. like even before the episode started, then they, they do the pan by like a camera is filming the cameraman and then they pan by him and then they show the busy set. We get another overhead view uh, as it pans away. Actually, how you're you're into this sort of thing, it pans right over top of current Galaxy's Edge. Uh Oh, nice. you can see is just, you know, the old back lot and stuff. Very interesting to think about now, because as you drive down that road currently, you see all the spires and all that stuff sitting there. Um, So, uh, once again, I wasn't blown away by that part. That was just sort of fake now because of you guys. Um, Bill Nye comes (laughs) back, though, and he starts talking about water and how important water is to our bodies, and he does the science connection. He's standing there in some rain slicks, uh, amongst the splash pad, it's that one at Epcot that's right there, sort of, uh, it's if you stand there and you look at that splash pad, you can see imagination kind of off in the distance right there. It's the one on that yeah, main. That's the one that Rolly, Rolly designed and uh, but it wasn't there convinced yet. Convinced them to install it. Back in. then it was just part of the bridge. There wasn't, there wasn't a splash pad there, right? 
No, he's no, he's no, on he's it. on the splash oh, pad. Yeah, he's right. on it. That's and part it's... of the ninety three, ninety four. Because Bill and I yep. keeps talking about Epcot ninety four. That's right. Yes, and I yep. I keep I forgot to say that. Every mention of Epcot is let's go to Bill Nye at Epcot ninety four, which yeah. is just so odd to me. Like I don't, yeah. I understand For, what, what fortunately the, the only lasted of it. two years. I just find it weird. Well, they, yeah, but in the software industry, it lasted about twenty. <laughs> I just can't believe they they just felt like why did they tack a ninety four on the end of it like it's the version of Windows? Well, <laughs> it was the idea was every year they were going to ch- Epcot ninety five, then Epcot ninety six, and they really very early in ninety six they did away with it. But the original interventions idea was that oh, we're going to update these exhibits, unlike we did in Communicore. We're going to every year there's going to be new stuff for you to come and see. And after two years, you're like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. So, so <laughs> then it just became Epcot again with no center. Yeah, we're good. So we have we we cut. Then he introduces Splashtacular. Yeah. Now, is this a show for my my expert historians here? Was this running for a long time at Disney? Yeah. So what this what we did find out, you know, work with Ron Logan. So this was a show that was done in Japan, and they brought it uh, from Tokyo Disneyland to uh, to Epcot. They spent a bunch of money. Uh, part part of it was the guys getting funding to redoing the fountain. So they actually, the old fountain, like although the shell of it was there, they like killed the old fountain and replaced it with like really fancy nozzles. This, so the same company, Wet Designs, that did the Bellagio, they put those same kind of uh, fountain, I don't know, nozzles like in that fountain and then built an enormous stage in front of it uh, in order to house the show. And... Uh, what it turn, turn, turns out, you blow a bunch of water in the air while a bunch of people are on a stage sitting right in front of the water. The stage gets covered with water. Imagine that. People can slip and fall, and it's a big... And, it, and the show, I don't think, was ended up being super popular because it was totally weird. Yeah. Uh, and this is some of the... this The footage on here really captures... At all, like in its glory. Yeah, it's and how you have the entire thing recorded that we're going to eventually release. That you actually, I do. <laughs> you shot this it ha- in wide, has... <laughs> with a wide this... angle lens too. This has some I nice close-ups though. Wonder because... if Ron Logan did that show. He, he, uh, he, he was in charge of it, but he said he was not uh, because it was brought in from Japan. He didn't take like direct control okay. of it, so he was not super aware of it. Um, and yes, this is a show that has the infamous like cyborg dinosaur that rises up from the bushes. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. This overhead view It's right right about where Club Cool is or was, and it, it comes yeah. out right over there. And it's there there these Captain EO looking guards are are shooting sparks at him, and it's something else. And then you yeah, get the you giant inflatable able- rainbow that comes up over on top of the roof of the AT and T. Lounge, and I love yeah. the I love the people dressed up in the giant silver Mickey ears. They can't even move. Yeah, they're like on stilts. I think in these sort of like Mickey ear, you know, armor costumes. Yeah, the like the chest now, piece is a Mickey head. Yeah, and um, what was funny because there's not enough room. Um, are people on the roof too? Oh no, there's just more inflatables on the roof. Man, they love their inflatables back then. Um, because there was no uh, place for them to get dressed and change and prep for the show. If you remember where the Expo Robotics 
uh, exhibit used to be in Communicore. Where Club Cool w- was. Where Club Cool, right. Yeah. Exactly. So once once they closed Expo Robotics, they actually turned that into like the prep area for the show. So everyone uh, would go down into there and prep for the show and then come out <laughs> on stage. So that area was closed off while this uh, show went on. It's quite exciting. And then that's the roof of the uh, the, the lounge on Spaceship Earth where the big inflatable is yep. up there, mm-hmm. right? That is something else. I mean, it's... <laughs> I, you just got to watch it. It's very tough to describe in detail. Just it's more you got to be there to see this yeah. train wreck of a show. And this is really... It's just tough to watch in I'm, general. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll have to look and see what mine is. But like, given all the close-ups, I think this is some of the best footage of Splashtacular that's out there. So... Glad, glad it's we. It's a very this. abbreviated version of the show too. We should. Well, thank it. goodness. It's very abbreviated. <laughs> so I, I have the, the yeah. full, <laughs> the definitive How Bowers collection will be released in yeah. 2020. If you're, this will wet your whistle, as they say. And <laughs> That's right. No pun intended. I do love the quote by Mickey, and I just, it's, it's. A, let's see what this future world fountain can really do. And now it's bulldozed <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> So it it just so everybody knows that ran from November twentieth ninety three to June eleventh ninety four. So you know a little over six months, barely got seven months. So in. what month was How there filming? Um, Is it an early version or a, a I, late I ha- version? No, I have I have the exact date. If you give me a second here, I was very meticulous about trying to write down the dates that I recorded things. Yep. It was May fifteenth, nineteen ninety four. Oh, I remember. Okay, that so time. we got a we got a late run when it's either at its yeah. best or its worst because they don't care anymore. They heard it was yeah, closing. About, about twenty eight days left on it here. <laughs> like, ah, hell with it. Don't even blow the inflatable up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a, a great uh, little touch there of uh, Splashtacular. I, I will. I was mentioning before about the All Star. They do give us a preview of the mm. the original All Star Sports model, and they show uh, uh, close ups of the the scale model. We see the uh, basketball area, the big uh, football helmets. Uh, Joan London's talking about how it's just amazing, and everything's so larger than life. And they also give us a preview of the Wilderness Lodge model. Uh, Regis talks about that one. He. He says uh, it's you know based on the uh, national parks and all that good stuff. So very cool to see those models up close and uh, on TV. There, that's a promotion as we talked about before. Yeah. The, so then we go to my I think one of the cheesiest parts of the show. <laughs> this is terrible. Regis decides he is going to show us something super exciting that's that's coming next, and he goes basically to a garage door that has a sign affixed to it that says the Walt Disney World Future Projects area, which I don't really think this exists, this this garage door with this thing on it, but it opens up. He walks in, and he's basically uh, tells you, you know, you got to have special access to get in here, you know? And he It's all in go-away green, too, so it's got to be, like, some backstage door somewhere. Yeah, so he's walking through, and correct me if I'm wrong, he basically just finds the elevator. He walks up to an elevator door. And he uh, he's like, well, I don't know if I should go in here, but what do you think? And then he goes, ah, it doesn't look too scary. Why not? And it, it's styled after the Tower of Terror elevator. If you've been on that, you kind of know. Uh, he's in there, and he's like, ah, it doesn't seem too bad. And then all of a sudden, he he turns black and white. It's like he is transported to the Tower of Terror, and he is that. Um, then from there, it, it drops. The whole thing's going crazy. He's yelling, screaming. He's spinning. They also do a a a 
Rod's Serling voice there, you know, of the, of the, I'm not sure if it's like the fake guy, it's got to be the fake guy, but I was trying to think, is this the voice of the guy that, that did the ride? Did they get him, you know, how they re-recorded for the actual ride, the, and they mm. dubbed it over the, the actual video? I wasn't sure, but either way, he, he then gets out and he is, he's smashed down vertically so he's shorter and he's wider and his voice is different and then he makes a joke about how he's to go get some suits altered <laughs> i just couldn't help but think you couldn't get any worse than that preview of tower of terror that used to be on the vacation planning videos you know where they'd show the kids getting on the elevator and the mickey ears fly through the tower right. this is this is way worse like that is like i think that that's what sparked uh their the regis video is what sparked their idea for the promo video and that's an improved version of this but it was horrible it's absolutely horrible and it gives you no sense of what the ride actually is i i love that the numbers on the elevator go to 12 and then there's just like this written in 13 (laughs) yeah it's like somebody took lipstick (laughs) and wrote 13 after the 12 like it doesn't even spin that far but the needle does, for some reason, spin full clock 360s oh, yeah. around as he's falling down. They they play the Twilight Zone music. He falls through the stars, the whole thing. But that that is his his take on Tower of Terror. And get excited, yep. Joan, because it's coming. 94, right. it's coming. Now, Hal, I've got a question for you, too. Um, they, they do pan to some... Uh, a lot of times they talk about the live blimp shots, and there's some live footage... Uh, provided that day by the Blockbuster. Yes, blimp. I have this written we, down. The Blockbuster yes, blimp is there. Blockbuster blimp. So, um, and and for those of you young young ones out there, Blockbuster <laughs> was a Blockbuster Video was a rental store where you could rent these things called videotapes, uh, which predated DVDs. Take them home, watch a movie. Um, but how do you know of any what the connection there was to Blockbuster and Disney, or was it just hey we need the blimp we're gonna we'll throw it in there um, and we'll talk about it changed a little bit in nineteen ninety yeah I don't I don't know that's interesting I do have a news story yeah. here uh, it says that it made its first debut in nineteen ninety three at a nationally televised game between the Florida Marlins and the Colorado Rockies down there and oh. it used to be the former Virgin Airways blimp. So, you know, Wayne Huizinga, I think that was his name, was the owner of Blockbuster, and he was based out of Miami. So it could have just mm-hmm. been, you know, it's a Florida thing. So, you know, they called someone on the phone and got I, access to it. Cause... Well, they the, the it was called Virgin Lightships, and they were based out of Orlando, it says. So there oh, you go. There we go. Oh. Well, I thought it was going to the contemporary to me. <laughs> it could have been. If we can get the Goodyear blimp of that thing together, bam. All right, so after after Regis uh, excites us with that, and we uh, we we see the blimp here and there, we move on to the Aladdin parade, uh, the Grand Caravan parade, I believe that's what it's called. Uh, well, isn't it Aladdin's mm-hmm. Royal Caravan? Royal Caravan, I don't yeah. know something. Yeah, they they push this hard because basically it's the parade of the time for for MGM. I mean, they cycled through a few different parades. This one ran for roughly three years. Um, I mean, it, to me, it was just the pretty normal parade. It wasn't like anything extra special. They just filmed, filmed this and, and showed it on TV. The, the one thing I learned from this, and I, you guys could tell me if this is completely false or uh, something that it, maybe I'm teaching you something. It's, the odds are that's not true. They had these big camels in the parade, rolling by big gold camels. And I learned, if this is true, that one of those camels is what is now in Adventureland at the Magic that, Kingdom. That's sitting correct. There that's by, correct. By Aladdin's magic ah. carpets. Yeah. 
and it lived someplace else before that. Mm-hmm. If yes, if you know, it, I don't. It, I I forget. So I, in front of the at some point the soundstage restaurant where the big business set was was re, it, was yes. rethemed to Aladdin, and two of the camels sat out front of that uh, as a well as a key to draw. So you Aladdin in. has Prince Ali has seventy five golden camels, so he's got some to spare. <laughs> According to the songs. <laughs> yes. Oh wow, there's a genie cam. <laughs> like they put a they put a camera on the float that has a genie on it. That was a pretty yeah. neat parade though. They had some really good they had like a whole bunch of genies because he was magical, and I remember there was this one genie that would like split in half. Like I think it was like a person there was one that walked on his hands, but they just had a person in the costume walking on his feet, but the costume was upside down. And there were a couple that would like do some unique and different things. And uh, I don't know if it's in here, but it ended with like Jafar pushing a honey bucket with uh, and if a honey bucket is like that thing that they pick up the horse poop in at the end of parades. And then there was a speaker inside and Iago would make comments about needing, wanting to be let out. And like everyone would boo and hiss Jafar as he walked by. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so that was the Aladdin parade. Um, I don't know. I was, wasn't too thrilled. It was cool though. But coming up at about the 49, 48 minute mark, we do have the Ninja Turtles making their appearance. This was a big hit for me at the gripe old age of 10. Now, th- these Ninja Turtle walk-around characters were more based on the cartoon and not like the movie of the day. Uh, they pulled up in the turtle van and they, you know, obviously threw out some cowabungas, some fake ninja moves, and then they move on to sing uh, Jingle Bell Rock as Ninja Turtles do. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this was this was some of the first outside Disney IP that was really brought into the parks too, if I recall. I remember hearing about it for the first time, going, mm, "Yeah, I remember, it was always you know? a big photo op, and you know they'd give you the yeah. thumbs up in the photo, and you're like, yeah, I met the Ninja Turtles.' It as a kid, I will say it it made Disney, we'll say, in quote unquote, cool. As a ten year old kid, you're like, all right, yeah, I like the Ninja Turtles, and I can see them at Disney. It was like an extra, like. I'll say is a 10-year-old kid who likes sports and that sort of stuff, Mickey just was, he was cool, but he wasn't as Ninja Turtle cool at that era. So it definitely, I don't know, it added something to it for me. I feel like we met him once. Um, so we go from there. We have some various montages, some more Aladdin parade, and then um, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing, Barbie. <laughs> As I as who's our Barbie, our resident fan that's a Barbie expert, Tammy Tucky. Tammy Tucky. Tammy Tucky. I don't. I was as I was watching this, I was like, I don't even want to touch this because she's going to be cursing at me the whole time she listens to the episode. But the Barbies are Barbie is there with the whole crew. Ken's there. Everybody's there. And my goodness, what a production to to have Barbie there. I. What's your guys' take on the whole Barbie thing? Well, you know, she was like the ambassador of friendship for the world, which is why she was at Epcot Center. And and if you remember, and the- and because Mattel had a sponsorship, <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's a stretch, That's right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was the deal. Uh, Mattel and Disney had a corporate sponsorship deal. Um, yeah, they sponsored the Small World. Small, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's how they got. They thought really hard about where Barbie would fit into uh, Walt Disney World, so it wasn't odd, and and they chose Epcot. 
and and have her to be a international ambassador to of friendship. To be specific, it was the American Pavilion. That's true. That's very and true. She's an American icon, and I mean, I'm I'm not defending this. I'm explaining, not defending. <laughs> you love it. Admit it. No. I have never sat through it and will go to my grave never having sat through it. The, Tammy, that means you're, you're, you're coming on as a special guest to yeah. do that episode. But, <laughs> she will be happy to do a seven-part series. She's interviewed oh, really? like, okay. all the people so who were in the stage show. Like You can, you can listen to the interviews with the people Steve, who played Barbie. I was, and, yeah, I saw it, and I go, man, there's, there's definitely pros out there that, that Tammy's one of them for sure. So we we have another part on Main Street with Chip and Dale and some baking. We have the walk around gingerbread cookies and, and that whole thing. Um, we then go back to Bill Nye at Epcot. He's in Morocco talking about cultures and languages and the science connection. And he walks into a Moroccan shop and speaks Moroccan. Then he just segues beautifully into... Uh, here to sing about culture is John Davidson. And then, and then we, we have John Davidson. I, I, I've never heard of this guy till now. <laughs> well, oh, come on. Come well, on. I'm sorry. He, I never had At the time, he I was the it. host of, uh, what did he host at that point? The Hollywood Squares. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> and he was yeah. That's Incredible in the 80s. He was doing That's, that's Incredible. Right. Oh, yeah. That's Incredible. That was quite but a But his show. Disney connection was being one of the stars of The Happiest Millionaire. Happiest Millionaire with Leslie Ann Where he sang, yeah. a so- yeah. he sang a fantastic song about Detroit. Yes. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and who has also been interviewed by Tammy Tucky on the Tiara Talk Show. So you can listen to interviews with all those people if you're interested. No, JT, he's, as a young man, he had the passion to be a car designer. And where do you go if you want to be a, you go to Detroit. Detroit, Detroit. yeah. Detroit. That's There's where... this big song about Detroit. Sherman so. Brothers Detroit song. Absolutely. You're going to you're gonna have to check that out. I, I like that he has a scarf on in Florida, too. That's yeah um then we go it's quite the head of hair too it is it's very 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 thick and still is today if you yeah is it (laughs) it's just silver now so we do a few laps around world showcase some countries you know as far as the you know they they sort of speak in their language they give you a little little something for each place we got the germans the norway all that stuff is there um, just to kind of give, you know, that, that sticking with that culture concept. And then we, uh, Goofy comes back as Santa on the sleigh. We start wrapping up here as we get to the end. But not to be outdone, not to be anything, we have a appearance by the President of the United States, Bill Clinton, uh, reading Twas the Night Before Christmas in front of a, uh, a fireplace there. It's like, not, it's, this isn't live, I take it, but they, they cut to a recording of him reading it to some children. And then uh, we, we end, uh, he goes right to Santa Claus here coming down Main Street. Not too bad of a float. He's up high on the, the tall float there. We've got some song and dance in front of him. Uh, you know, overall, I, I, I give this an 8.5 out of 10 because we do wrap up with a, a massive singing number with tons of children in front of the fountains here. They all have the matching white shirt, the the candy cane scarf, and the Santa hat. Children singing in unison to take us home. And then we end it. One wish this Christmas. It would be thorough. All the children of the world. Yes. To join hands. And And we we end on Main Street with uh, all the hosts and everybody there waving. But it it almost does. You know, I I don't believe you, but I do believe you that it's live. Because 
there's no Kathy Lee there. She did not catch the blue flag bus or whichever one from the studios <laughs> back to I Main Street. I bet you all her stuff was, yeah, she was all pre-recorded. She's she definitely not there. Yeah. So she, uh, nope. yeah, they, they definitely didn't rush anybody over. Bill Nye didn't even end up back on Main Street. So the Main Street part, I'd say, was the only only live part. Um, but that's that's my take you, on you it. You mean the part where Regis was shrunk down until little size wasn't live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the old school Walt Disney World Resorts logo when the resorts were something separate in a way. Yeah, the D know. with the head in it and the. No, no, no. Take, I I posted in the in our chat here. Take a look at it. It's so, very fancy. Oh, that. Yeah, very very fancy. Of course, they show. The I've seen that on brochures before too. There. So. Well, let's stay in 1993, but we're going to change channels um, because that that show that we just watched, the parade, would have been two hours with commercials. So we've got it cut down to an hour and a half for a viewing pleasure. And I think any of these you could put on in the background as uh, you're celebrating this Christmas. Um, but, Brian, you're going to take us through our other one, which is our second one here out of three, a musical Christmas at Walt Disney World. And... Um, this one's interesting as well, to say That's the right, Todd. And, uh, you can't just have any old Christmas at Walt Disney World and a live Christmas Day parade. You have to have a musical Christmas at Walt Disney World. And this was a one-hour program uh, aired on the Disney Channel on Saturday night, December 18th, 1993. So Michael Eisner uh, welcomes you uh, from the streets of uh, Main Street. Uh, to the musical Christmas at Walt Disney World. Uh, introduces himself as the head of the Walt Disney Company, and this is their little Christmas gift to you as a musical Christmas at Walt Disney World. He has a very, very small role, but he's all bundled up. Hosted by Robert Urich, uh, an actor, the late Robert Urich, who at that time would have been famous for two things. His uh, drama on the ABC network called Spencer for Hire, where he was a... Uh, a sleuth who solved problems. You hired him to take care of things for you and solve your mysteries. And he also was the host of National Geographic Explorer on the Discovery Channel, which in the days back when uh, your cable only had like 40 channels, <laughs> the Discovery Channel's uh, National Geographic Explorer was one of those things that you watched, just like A&E's biography and things that kind of fade into the background now. But uh, and now they have their own channel, right? Nat Geo has its own channel, and Biography has its own channel, yes. And so, Disney Devils National One of the interesting so. things look about the that. program was it was directed by Jeff Margolis, and if you take a look at his, his credits, he specializes in these one-hour, two-hour specials and live events like the Emmy Awards and the American Music Awards and things like that, so... This is the only thing that he did for Disney, like the only special he did like this. And I bring it up because the production value in this is extremely interesting. So the show opens with a lushly landscaped hub in front of the castle featuring Kathy Lee Gifford singing that Christmas classic, When You Wish Upon a Star, which is in anybody's <laughs> Christmas playlist. Uh for those of you uh, who listened to our prior section here on the on the uh, parade, you know that she was the host of Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Uh, Regis does not appear in this particular program. Uh, there's and Brian, it could have been if instead of wish, when you wish Star, I remember in one of the 
last year's Christmas episode, we talked about uh, uh, the song from "Don't um, Get Me Started." A sound of Don't music that has now become a Christmas song that, <laughs> that doesn't even exactly. I knew, every time I hear it, I think my, of you, my, Brian, my favorite thing is not a Christmas song. The Peanuts theme song is not a Christmas song. Like I, I, they have nothing to do with winter because we've now accepted that you know snow, winter, sleigh bells, those things are acceptable Christmas songs. I I kind of understand the peanuts thing and only that it's a mistake because there's the ice skating song, which I completely from from the peanuts Christmas special that I a hundred percent like equate with Christmas time. But like not the main theme, not Linus and Lucy. That yeah, that I, I did. I just heard it's, that on it's a Christmas on all the time. radio station. It's on week. every I'm day. Like, why is this oh, yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the song Skating from that special is 100% wintry to me, but I don't understand the whole Linus and Lucy thing. That's nuts. Um, I'll tell you what else is missing from from the uh, from the shot there. It's the Walt Partners well, statue. It's not there yet because 90, 95 it came. Yeah. So, so there's... Uh, there's a topiary of Mickey and Minnie standing there holding hands and like they have waving hands. So it was an yes. electrified topiary. So Robert Urich then introduces uh, Trisha Yearwood. She's the next person that sings. And Trisha Yearwood, a country music singer, uh, she sings the most wonderful time of the year. And I wish it could be Christmas forever, which is a Perry Como standard uh, that I don't hear played a lot anymore. But uh, back then, a certain segment of the audience would have been familiar with the song. But hang on. She is on uh, okay. a, a very, very snow-dressed Center Street and Main Street USA. Like, you cannot imagine. <laughs> you got to rush to your, to your TV right now. Click on the link in our show notes and watch these things. They must have pumped so much fake and not it's not fake snow. It's actual packed like they shot, you know, a snow machine on here and packed like the whole set of Center Street with real actual snow that, that is there. Because you can see it's all melting. I mean, the, the ground's all wet and, and, and uh, yeah. it, it is amazing. And uh, I, I, that is a recurring theme throughout throughout the production. And it, is it East Center Street? You know, or West Street? I wasn't going to guess, but I think it is the one they did it's away hard to with. Tell. But I, I kept looking at it, I'm, and I was trying to make the sign out, but the video has lost just enough clarity that I couldn't really make out whether I was seeing the jewelry store or what. What, what, what are you seeing? So I think it's I think it's West because in the background, when you're far away, you can see the lights mm-hmm. of the art corner sign. Like up against, oh, yeah. and there weren't lights on the other side because it was the bicycle bicycle shop and the um, the barber shop. So, and the camera trickery is done well that it keeps her in there, but it looks like she's walking a mile down the street. She you know, she just they, keeps she walking around. Use, yeah, I mean the whole thing, and she's you. But I mean, when yeah. I tell you they they set this thing up, it is. There's a guy roasting chestnuts and there's like there's there's these merchants and shoppers walking by. And, and it's all I mean, if you've been in the area, it's like a it's like a 70 foot section. I mean, there's no, it's not a very, very big set to be shooting on, but they, they use the space very well. But everybody's bundled up and. 
There's one part though where she does trip on a white mat and it curls. But back, you, but which you is know, pretty funny. like, so this broadcast in December. So at best they were they were doing it. They did it overnight. It's obvious because the it's nighttime and the whole place is empty. Uh, so they they filmed it overnight one night. You know, in the middle of the night. But it would be like November. So the likelihood is they were filming it out there in like 70 degree weather and walking around in these coats. And so at the conclusion of Trisha Yearwood's appearance, they then move on to Peebo Bryson and Peebo. Yeah. Peebo Bryson is singing Silent Night in a very, very yellow jacket uh, on a very empty Main Street, because, as I said, they did this overnight. Um, but the, 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 the yellow like really jumps out because the whole show is white coats, red plaid, you know, the plaid scarf, the, everybody's in their Christmas attire, their reds, their greens and, uh, outdoor blacks, you know, Victorian blacks and, and then white stuff. And all of a sudden Peebo Bryson's there like yellow man, like, like French's mustard yellow. Um, uh, <laughs> But here's the thing. So as opposite of the other one, it's like the costuming here is actually spot on because he stands out from the background. It's like it gives him contrast. Like this, these people knew what they were doing. Yeah, Trisha's kind of lost in the white forest. And you can tell they put like that, um, like that Vaseline lens effect on Trisha Yearwood's one where it's like whenever Saturday Night Live used to put. Uh, somebody playing Barbara Streisand on screen, they'd always put that that sheen on there. <laughs> it's all soft, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. But yeah, so yep. Peebo Bryson, uh, and I will talk a little bit about why Peebo's there uh, in, a, in it, when, when I get to his second appearance. Uh, but we finally move out of the Magic Kingdom to New York Street in Disney MGM Studios, where our host, Robert Urich, gives us a peek into movie making, because you know they made movies there. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, and then Robert York sends you to France in World Showcase to hear Andy Williams, uh, Mister Christmas. There, mm. uh, Andy Williams singing. Uh, first, he walks through the France Pavilion, starting outside, and just wanders into Chefs de France like he's a nightly regular, and like, hey, Andy, you know. And then he sings, I'll be home for Christmas, as they alternately shoot him from inside the restaurant uh, and outside as he's looking out the window like a lost kid who was left behind by his parents. It's it's a very odd thing. And they play like frosted the windows. <laughs> and again, they have packed the French pavilion with with snow, like actual snow machine snow all over the place. Uh, it, it's it's fascinating uh, that he. he, he when he well, sings, it looks like uh, a dent. Some commercial. of the lip syncing isn't quite on. I have that. I have that a little later. Like you can see on some of these songs, like they're just a little bit off. Uh, so they send you back to the Ma- Magic yeah. Kingdom of Center Street, and Robert Urich is there uh, being served some wassail, uh, but while from from a street cart, while reading from a Christmas Carol, uh, and then he sends you to the UK Pavilion, which he calls the English Pavilion. Uh, so sorry, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. Uh, and uh, that's where Natalie Cole, uh, Nat King Cole's daughter, uh, sings the Christmas song, which was her father's famous song, while a vendor is actually roasting chestnuts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, my side note, I know I've mentioned it on previous Christmas episodes. They used to sell the roasted chestnuts at the Osborne Lights in in the Disney MGM Studios. Worst things I've ever tasted in my life. Like I can't believe they wrote a whole song about these things. It's like <laughs> it was awful. I remember like this is awful. It's like I don't know how squirrels live on this stuff. So there's this. The, they really did this up nice, and you know the the UK pavilion has that whole back area. So there's a lot to kind of shoot around, but there are handsome cabs, lots of snow, like a fair amount of people like extras milling about in the background, moving in and out of the different shops and just passing people on the street and doffing their little Victorian caps and chimney sweeps walking by with their chimneys. Like, like the whole thing is like expertly, expertly (laughs) done. So Natalie Cole finishes singing that, and Robert's Yurik's ne- next intro is, and I have to ask about this, Hal, because I'm just like brain fart. Was there a before the well, it's Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique now, right? Or or was there a like a toy store inside the castle? Okay, there was. So, so right where the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique is now, it right. was Tinkerbell Toy so Shop. So he is standing outside of there. Uh, introducing uh, Leah Salonga and Peebo Bryson to sing A Whole New World. From the balcony behind Cinderella's royal table that you never knew was there. Because we're never up there and you never see anybody on it, but they are standing out Mm -hmm. on this balcony that exists between the windows for Cinderella's royal table and the balustrade that runs along the, the, the outside of the building. Uh, so they stand up there. It's a really interesting mix. Uh, Leah Salonga uh, was Princess Jasmine's singing voice in the movie. Uh, so she sang it in the movie with Brad Kane, A Whole New World in the Aladdin movie. But the pop music soundtrack version was Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. So what they did is they mix it. You got Peebo Bryson from the sound from the pop music version and Leah Salonga from the soundtrack. Uh, and so their duet is out there. Uh, and Leah Salonga, by the way, also performed all of Mulan's singing parts in, in that movie uh, a couple years later. She was known at the time, too. Uh, that was her, her big for doing uh, Miss yeah. Saigon uh, on Broadway, and then she went to do uh, Les Miserables after that, too, in around 93. So she's definitely so back to well Robert Urich, who now decides to give us his own Christmas gift by singing himself. Uh, <laughs> He, he sings It Came Upon a Midnight Clear from New York Street next to a burning trash can because nothing says New York Street like a burning trash can. Uh, <laughs> it could have been on the LIA. And then never... from Santa's tree lot on New York Street, he sends us to the German Pavilion where Kathy Lee Gifford celebrates the country that gave us the Christmas tree. And I know I've mentioned the snow in the UK and the snow on Center Street. All of the snow in the world is in the German pavilion in this in this like they, they must have just been must have been like the last thing they were shooting. And we're like, let's just use all the snow that we have in the machine because it's just like like it was a blizzard in the German <laughs> pavilion uh, as. She looks oddly thin in that, too. She's very well. We very will send her a cheeseburger in, in and tell her to bulk story. up. Um, she yeah. sings. And how, just so you know, uh, your recording that we have, that, that we have to fix the audio, but 
Uh, right about uh, the 35-minute mark, News 40 kicks in with the high school state final game. Um, Manatee is uh, behind 28, Miami Southridge 56 at the oh, end. No. The oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So, oh, and it... So, Kathy Lee has shrunk down to, like, one-third of the size. So, Kathy Lee Gifford sings the Christmas waltz uh, while having a nice chat with a horse that she feeds treats to. So she's like singing this song and just like giving a, a handful of oats to this horse that's in the German pavilion because, you know, the Germans pre Volkswagen, I guess, had horses that they got around on. And we go to the American Adventure Pavilion where gospel music's most awarded artist, Stephen Curtis Chapman, joins the Voices of Liberty to sing Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. Right there in the rotunda of the American Adventure, surrounded by a dangerous amount of candles. So we've gone from snow to (laughs) this thing could go up like a tinderbox any second. Because there there must be 200 candles around him. It looks like the set of wrapped around your finger by the police. And then then they they move down to the Voices of Liberty singing Deck the Halls, where he eventually joins them. And there's more candles down there, like just all around the Voices of Liberty. It's it's it, it really it, it, it is something to see. It's quite the contrast from the snow. A little known fact, all those in costume are French <laughs> So when they finish that run, uh, Mickey Mouse uh, finally shows up on Main Street. He wishes you peace, good health and happiness. He then joins a large Christmas uh, children's choir under the town square Christmas tree. They're all holding unlit candles. And so you're you're watching them hold these unlit candles uh, as they sing that Christmas classic, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. So you you guys all think that was like a 2000s invention where Disney would like drop them songs in there in inappropriate places in shameless self-promotion. No, in 1993, it was alive and well. Uh, we moved into uh, Winter Wonderland That's and then right. Joy to the World. And so they didn't have like all the celebrities join the kids and Mickey in Town Square because obviously all the celebrities were there on different nights filming different parts. They weren't all there. So what happens is they start singing Joy to the World and then they would cut to videos of the different celebrities taking a different section, uh, like a different verse of Joy to the World, often but usually not lip syncing their parts correctly. Oh, so so Brian, I can tell you why the candles aren't lit. They're actually light bulbs. They're like stage uh, candles with electric light bulbs in them and they were used in the processional for the for the old like christmas processional they would do up main street so that way That's nobody stage got magic that ah. is safety so, first uh, if you have roughly 45 minutes this is just the kind of cheesy seasonal special that was a part of the christmas season since they started doing cheesy christmas specials in the 1950s when television Kind of rose. I really feel like they don't do them that much anymore. Uh, it's all kind of polished and mm. promo-y and not pretty. But back, I mean, you guys remember when we were kids, aside from Rudolph and all that stuff, is like every year there was the, you know, this year, like if it was 
if this year was 20 years ago, there'd be like the Lizzo Christmas special and the, like whoever's like whoever's <laughs> famous and like having a good year at the time, all of a sudden there would be that person. And then there would be, hey, remember this person who used to be famous 15 years ago? Like, you know, here's all of a sudden, the you know, the Jenny Garth Christmas special. And you're like, oh, OK. Well, and it would always be an hour on like a Saturday night or some Christmas week. Uh, and they would like various celebrities, like a variety show. And I don't, yeah, I don't really think they definitely. do that stuff much anymore. But it, it's an interesting contrast no. because you know today now instead of doing the parades, it's like they do those, uh, they do the Christmas show with a lot of musical entertainment, but it's all you know more teen and young adult focused. And it's not Christmas music a lot uh, of time. Like artists. it's a Christmas backdrop, yeah. but they're performing their hits, and and exactly, like, you know. Back then, it was always like, oh, hey, look at this. Mickey Rooney's on here singing the night. You know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Very interesting. Well, then I guess we will transition to 1995. I'm sure and, they made and, I'm sure they made yeah. great advances, Howard, between between oh. JT and my thing in 93 yeah. <laughs> and yours in 95. I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed a lot of similarities. The formula didn't yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so we're this we're back with with Regis and uh, and Joan London once again. Uh, it's 1995. Uh, we ha- there are some new things in the Magic Kingdom to highlight, but yeah, you're right, Todd. They they actually really went to the playbook and just kind of did a lot oh, of yeah. the same stuff that they did in that earlier parade, the '93. A lot of the floats and stuff are exactly the same floats a lot of the location it's very very similar so uh and the 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 whole setup you know instead of uh robbie benson you have jd roth now who again an annoying person just coming in like (laughs) yeah right so i mean that's (laughs) of the parade but that's how down to it's like oh robbie benson's night we'll put jd roth who if you don't know who he was he was um I'll get into that. I got that. I got that. But yeah, it is that formative. Like, there's the color commentary of the two people yeah. up in you know up in the booth above the parade, and then s- some people interviewing folks you know down on the parade route and some behind the scenes stuff. So yeah, yep. it's really all kind of cut from the same cloth. So uh, so the 1995 parade. Uh, so what was the big movie that came out in uh, in 1995? Ooh. Oh, I see. Todd. Ta- I see a hand. Todd. Toy Story. That's right, Toy Story. So, uh, so we open up with this shtick with Buzz and Woody trying to take over hosting the Christmas parade, uh, which uh, uh, what's his name? Regis. Regis is not so happy about that. It doesn't sound like a real Buzz and Woody. It's definitely not Tim Allen. No, and, and, uh, no. They. I mean, Tim Allen. So this is the time period when like Tim Allen and um, uh, Tom Hanks would not do any of the stuff. Other than the movie. So if there was a TV special or a CD-ROM game or something, it's like Tom Hanks would like throw it to his brother to do. Which is for real. It's like his brother would do all the voice of Woody in like yeah. any thing that Tom Hanks did. I don't know who they got for Buzz, but like it's not Tim Allen. Um, but they have these long speaking parts where you're like, that's not Buzz and Woody. Um, <laughs> it kind of sounds like drunk Buzz. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and I noticed they still had the garland over Main Street uh, during this special. So I don't know, Brian, when they took down the elaborate, uh, like, garland with the uh, stuff over Main Street. You know how they used to have yeah, the Yeah, all the way up until they started Festival of Fantasy the Parade in 2014. That's 
because the because the oh, okay. the oh, dragon so can't fit underneath the the garland. That's why they had to take it down. So once they okay. started Festival of Fantasy, they they switched to those wreaths, which I actually prefer. Okay, so uh, so it's after that shtick, they go to a big musical number with part with uh, floats parked on town square, uh, and they they have this big Christmas song and uh, Maleficent and uh, Jafar take over the float and sing this song. We're getting nothing for Christmas, which because they're you know because they're villains, and then. Yeah, and then in the middle of this number, like kick a small off. boy stops and yells, "Wait a minute! This is supposed to be Christmas!" <laughs> and he gives them presents, and they're like, "Oh, we got Christmas presents!" And then they they walk off. So it's very very awkward. So uh, so here's your lineup for this Christmas parade. It's uh, Regis Philbin and Joan London, of course, uh, from the hit TV show Boy Meets World. Which I I never saw, but I guess that must have been a Disney Channel show, right? Because I'm just the wrong age. Ben Savage and Ryder Strong. So that's some good names. That was, uh, the, and then what's his name's yep. uh, brother, right? From from Fred Savage's brother, younger brother, Ben Savage. Oh. Fred Savage's younger ben brother. Savage. So yeah. that was an ABC show. That's why they got the connection there with Disney. So that's that's why it was on ABC originally. Randy Savage. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> it was on for seven the- seasons believe it or not from 93 to 99 and then uh so doing the color com doing the on the street and the behind the scenes are jd roth and brianne leary from walt disney world inside out which was a disney channel show right now i remember the the monthly version of the show that was hosted by scott harrett which ran from 1994 to 1995. But apparently at the, like, May of 1995, they stopped doing that version and they started doing, like, a weekly version and had these two people as the host of the show. So the show actually didn't debut until, I think, January, like, after this. So this was kind of, like, your first introduction to these folks. And then that weekly version of the show started in January. So people had no idea who they were when the show started. And I don't know if they cared after it was done. Hmm. And then for, for musical entertainment, we have Jody Benson, who, of course, was The Little Mermaid. Uh, Richard White, who you would not recognize, like, walking down the street if you saw him, who is Gaston in uh, in Beauty and the Beast. And then Brad Kane uh, from Aladdin, who is another person that, like, if you just saw him, you probably would not know who he was. And JT, this one was was also brought to you by uh, Kissimmee St. Cloud and Burger King, because I think they had a they probably had the I think Mc, before the McDonald's deal, I think Disney and Burger King had the relationship uh, because I think Burger King did the 25th anniversary toys where you could get like the floats uh, in their in their kids meals. And I noticed that like every once in a while they would have like a the text live show up like superimposed on the screen so then i'm i'm with you jt i'm wondering at, at what point was it most what parts were live and what parts weren't live and what was pre-recorded and because they pop back and forth between so many places i would Just guess most of the nightmare. parade shots were live you know like yeah I, probably and, and yeah. that the obviously the can stuff where they're where regis is on the tower of terror or somebody's singing from the balcony over the castle or something that some of that would have been pre-recorded. Yeah. Live so, on tape. Uh, so and let's al- get right. and also Burger yeah. King so did the 20th anniversary. They had that 
They had oh, that, the that calendar okay. that they gave away for free in 91, 92. Uh, McDonald's was in by the 25th because they had the castle cake glasses and all that other kind of stuff. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Thank you, then. Okay, so uh, so the excitement starts with the West Orange High School marching band playing Jingle Bells, um, and they they do like the full song. So it's like it's just a full on marching band, uh, and then uh, this is kind of interesting. A family gets pulled out, and they're wearing custom matching T shirts. Yeah, I made a note of this uh, too. I mean, it's like they're way ahead of their time. <laughs> they are. They're like pioneers, weren't they? That's amazing. Uh, and then, uh, so, and that's during where JD and Brienne are like goofing around. JD calls Brienne. She's going to go get the scoop on. Does anyone get that reference? Because oh. I just sat there like making that like Tom and Jerry, like blinking boink, boink sound like not understanding. <laughs> uh, then we have the, the wooden soldier unit uh, doing a full version of Toyland and March of the Wooden Soldiers from, from Babes in Toyland. I mean, the one thing I have to say, like, I found watching the show very painful. And I think when, <laughs> by the time I got done, I, I would probably sit with some attention to the, to the one that Brian watched, but I realized, uh, watching this one, uh, these shows were probably best served as just background like while you're opening up yeah. Christmas presents and like you would might glance up and notice something, go, you know, going on. But like this for two hours. Oh, my gosh. Like if you actually sat down and just watched this intently for two hours, you, I don't think you would handle be able to handle it. I remember uh, as a kid when we did put them on, I, I was just as I do, would do now. I was waiting to see the new attraction and, the, you know, what are they going to announce? So that was that was the only thing I was interested in. Um, you know what what things yeah. are coming so yeah i know really it background came on, noise i think it was perfect. was it nine o'clock or ten o'clock i forget i think i, I want to say not i want to say it was nine to yeah, eleven and, yeah that and sounds about by right. that point like kids had woken their parents up at like five thirty in the morning you had opened all your presents you had had breakfast you might have been getting dressed for church or going the night before like you just wanted to sit there and you threw it on in the background you're playing with the gi joe with the kung fu grip while the while the parade's on in the background and I mean, I remember watching it, and at that time I was in my 20s, but I mean, I remember sitting and having it on the TV. We always put the Disney parade on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I, I mean, we still, by habit, want to turn it on, and then like, oh, it's not the parade anymore. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Jones, so 19, Jones says the Magic Kingdom is at capacity, and they're not letting anybody else in. So, that would have been 930 in the morning, uh, 1995. So, I think that kind of shows you how wow. things escalated because i remember going christmas day in the 80s and it was like a ghost town but this parade really, really did bring people in yeah this i mean to the point now where it's like i mean not only is christmas day packed but like all the days like everyone knows when they're filming the show and like the magic kingdom is packed on all those days on the lead up to the shows as well and now they're shooting them in november where before at least they were Shoot, they were shooting this earlier be, in December. It used to, to be put the together? first week of December. It used to be like the sixth, seventh, okay. eighth of December. Now it really is like they do the first Christmas party, like the seventh of November, and by the next week they're shooting segments of the of the, you know, the performances for the parade and all. Yeah, I mean, I guess more lean time is fine. So it's you know good for them. It's not quite so crazy. Uh, Regis Philbin mentions uh, so again getting into the Toy Story thing. Regis Philbin talks about that he played with Mr. Potato Head, but he used a real <laughs> potato. 
<laughs> and then uh, Brienne quickly walks through the backstage of the new Toy Story parade, which will uh, figure prominently. Sh- should later we on note the that show. the original Mr. Potato Head? You did use a real potato, like they sold you the pieces <laughs> yeah. to put inside of a real potato. You just yeah, got a box like of that, parts. That, that was, was it. it. Like that was the original Mr. Potato. It was a so it's, you know it's like the, a bag of glass that somebody sold you. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you're sticking with potato. It had actually like really pointy metal yes things that you yes. would shove in, right? Yes, it was like the, it's not at all dark safe. Side. It was like, 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 like Johnny's face bag. <laughs> It's, a plastic, yeah. it's just a plastic bag. Johnny Space Commander mask. <laughs> uh, this toy's safe. This, this toy's fine. Johnny Switchblade Adventure <laughs> Punk. That's right, Say <laughs> Ken takes a knife or Barbie gets cut. Yeah, look up Irving Mainway from Saturday Night Live in the mid-70s and uh, you'll see Dan Aykroyd. You'll get all the ancient so references we're making. Yeah, so... Interesting thing, Ir- Irving Mainway. So I don't know if you guys, ha- it's up here in New England and into Canada. Is uh, and he and Dan Ackroyd's Canadian. Um, Irving is the gas station. Mainway is the name of the store inside the gas oh, station. So that's where Irving good. Mainway came from. Uh, and and we get a bunch of aerial shots, and this time it's being done by the MetLife blimp. Yeah, they ditched Blockbuster. What happened? Yeah, that was 89. But yeah, so the, the MetLife Blimp yeah. was there, called, and the MetLife Blimp is called Snoopy One. And they actually showed it this time because, you know, MetLife was a sponsor. And then uh, then we cut to everyone's favorite, Roger Rabbit. Because uh, nothing so scary is like Roger Rabbit. On a circus train float <laughs> singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town, followed by a clown band. And Regis Philbin... This part is scary. Regis Philbin says, crowd loves him. <laughs> And I'm sh- in a very unconvincing manner as he's talking about the crowd, the clown band. Um, There's Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls that come through at this point, too. And they're just kind of flopped over like dead. Yeah, on it's uh, it's something. Flow. It's, it's horrible. really something. And Joan London's daughter, like apparently her daughters would show up on on the parade in different roles over the course of time. So this year, Joan London's daughter is dancing in the parade as a ballerina. Because now she's old enough that mm. she can actually, uh, you know, perform as part of the parade. But yeah, I thought, well, I did notice what I thought was interesting. Uh, like all these characters, they have full songs that are made either specifically for the parade or, you know, for this broadcast. So it's, it's like when Chip and Dale are singing, it's like, and when Roger Rabbit's singing, like he's singing this full song they're not just like in there it's like they're actually integrated as part of the show so someone spent some time and care to put that together i i will say in one of these clips of those clowns how um one of them was holding and shooting the crowd with a super soaker 50 which i had it was the neon green super soaker nice that's right right that's awesome so the way that the seemed to be set up is like so they had the parade you know that they would shoot you know down on main street kind of around like the magic shop area or uh in town square and then they would have floats stop in front of the castle and they would shoot bits there. So the first bit that they go to is uh, is Richard White, the voice of Gaston, lip syncing his section of Bell. So like they roll in on a float and he starts, they cut out the whole first section with Bell singing, you know, Little Town, It's a Quiet Village. And they start with like LeFou and him. And what I found really strange is like the townsfolk and the other people are, they're all dressed in their beauty and the beast costumes from the live stage show. 
And he's just yes. in like modern street clothes with a red sweater on, hanging out amongst them. It's I, horrible. It looks like he was in the crowd of the Christmas parade, and he just hopped on and started singing his yeah. best on. I noticed the same exact thing, and just it just, he just stuck out like it a looks, sore thumb. It's very strange, and like he said, the difference in costume and wardrobe. So, uh, and then he it the song tr- transitions to Gaston for like a big finish, but it just seems weird. Just like the production value there is is lost because of it. I don't know. It's strange. Uh, then Regis and Joan introduce the Disney Institute. And Regis, who apparently was there the week before, like can't even read the cue card to like get the word Disney Institute out. He kind of trips on it. So maybe I get, that part was live because they certainly didn't edit it. And then they talk about how Regis was teaching a class there the week before in television production. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to get a class from Regis Philbin. In TV production, he probably knows a lot. Uh, and Joan London says instead of taking class or instead of giving classes there, she took classes there. So you get a nice montage of the Disney Institute, which was newly opened. Uh, is that right, JT, that year, 1995? That was like the new. It was right yeah, around then. February or something yeah. of so, that year. Yeah. Of 90, so that was the new destination of uh, where Saratoga Springs is today. The former Lake Bonavista uh, golf resort. Uh, got transformed into the Disney Institute where you could, so Michael Eisner, I think the story is, Brian, like found out about how you could go to on vacation places and learn how to do stuff, like get classes from chefs and things. So he's like, hey, let's let's do this at Walt and Disney World. That's a great idea. retreats and clients and it's all about, you know, that it, with the hotels, he had spaces to fill. So he wanted to bring big conferences and conventions and people down there to, to you know, you're coming to learn how to be a better manager in your business and learn Disney's trade secrets. But while you're here, your wife and kids can go to the park. Your husband and kids can go to the park. And that, gotcha. that was the part of the whole, the whole thing. The Disney Institute actually still exists today from a corporate perspective. You can They have advisory services, um, professional development courses. The company I previously worked for actually sent a lot of our management, um, executive level management down to help design our own quality of service and um, approach to working with clients. So it's still there, but just in a, a different uh, incarnation. So they're actually training other uh, companies out there on how to be successful with customer success, which is interesting. So that's where the Disney Institute went after uh, it, it wasn't any longer or something that the general public. Gotcha. So, so Joan takes a class in animation and they show her going over and, and she's doing a bouncing ball and she gets to shoot her pencil test on the little fancy computer thing. Then she, then she goes out <laughs> in a canoe on an alligator watch excursion and, and actually, <laughs> this is not good publicity <laughs> like, in hindsight. Yeah. The, they yes. wouldn't do this today, but she actually gets very close to an alligator does that thing that alligators do where they just kind of like dart off in the water and like make a big splash and she mildly freaks out and then plays it off like she's not scared uh and then she takes a mountain climbing class and she scales big thunder mountain no i'm kidding she actually they have a rock climbing wall there (laughs) that was always the money shot of the disney institute was the rock climbing (laughs) wall like and they showed like you know a 50 year old mom up there and she camera pans to her and she looks and goes i can't believe i'm doing this <laughs> and then that was the the promo for the institute so was that was uh were fake rock climbing walls was that like a newer thing no but it was always to me like it was the hook like you know you can do things that you right. can't do anywhere you can take disney culinary you can rock climb you can film production all these different things that are 
you know, super unique you can learn at Disney. Cool. Uh, so we go to commercial, and when we come back, Mariachi Cobra performs Feliz Navidad from the steps of the Mexico Pavilion, which I, I thought was quite lovely. Uh, then uh, J.D. Roth comes back, and he meets some more families, and uh, they ask him what his favorite Christmas, what their favorite Christmas songs are. So they, the people actually, to their credit, pick real Christmas songs. And then uh, he mentions that he wants a big screen TV so he can watch the Orlando Magic on the big screen TV, which were in the playoffs at that point. They they would have been going yeah. for the playoffs. So also, there's a there's a little also Shaq, for you kids Shaq was at big home, then. like twenty seven inches would be a big screen back then. <laughs> yeah, or this a terrible rear oh, projection no, no. that you you had to sit yeah, directly were, in front bad. of. Or, or those, or those. Bad. Remember the, really remember bad. those ones that it was like the movie screen, and it had the, it had the yes. unit in front, like it would hang, either hang down from your ceiling, or, or on like a, like a, like one of these things we have for our microphones, where it was like a set space, and it would have the three, the three, yep. the red, green, and blue lights, and yes, the yes. three color guns, yeah. It was essentially three different projections that were that would come and. and yeah, that, that, on the that was a terrible to picture adjusted. too. Yeah. <laughs> Those were big in bars before yeah. projections were were uh, commonplace, uh, or the projection systems as you know them today. It was still projection, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And if anybody walked in front, you get these red, green, and blue <laughs> shadows. Just, and but really, our lives were terrible, terrible until like three years ago. Everybody, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You. <laughs> You guys sound like so much fun. <laughs> just, everything was. We didn't horrible. have car phones or laser discs or any of those fancy things like you guys do now. That's right. Uh, so Chip and Dale come back and they appear once again, JT, on the kitchen float, uh, singing "We Need a Little Christmas" and a song called "Bake Shop," which I was unfamiliar with, but apparently must have been a thing. Uh, Winnie the Pooh and his giant honey pot shows up. They sing "Holly Jolly Christmas" and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And this is where I really kind of noticed, like, wow, they really spent a lot of time like arranging these songs but i you guys might remember that they actually had some albums like cds and cassettes that you could buy of like disney characters singing christmas songs too um and i remember they oh, yeah. sold them at disney mgm in the little christmas shop section and i, I think they, they mostly there, use too, them so. now for like as offensive weapons and when they like lock, lock <laughs> prisoners up and are trying to break them they just play it over and over again manuel noriega <laughs> out of his <laughs> Out of his compound. Uh, uh, and then uh, very similar. See, now I thought this was u- pretty unique, JT, but now that I've seen your special where they go to Blizzard Beach, they did the same thing again. They they said, that's what I was going to say. They did the same. It's identical. The L's going to Blizzard they Beach. They went from Typhoon yeah. Lagoon and yours, now Blizzard Beach on this one. And so they. Because Blizzard Beach had just opened. Yeah. Again, brand new. Uh, now, the one thing that they. I don't know what song they sang on the uh typhoon lagoon one but they did a ver- it was a uh, it was their own song that we're on yeah. vacation. so so this for this one they took the song summertime blues the very famous mm-hmm. one and changed it to wintertime blues oh they, they oh. did a twist well the weird thing yes. about that is wow there is a cure for the wintertime blues right like you go to florida the whole thing is there ain't no cure for the summertime right. blues yeah, I think that's the way that they altered it. So again, there's the Christmas trees and the elves, and they did. It's a very elaborate production number. 
With, with oh like, yeah, they do everything at Blizzard Beach. Probably they do the big, the big massive slide. They do the the kid area. They're all over that place. And that is the one thing that I say: if if you if you want to sit down and watch these specials, that's the one thing to watch for. There are these segments where they show like the new stuff yeah. and like all kinds of neat angles and things. So that part is kind of fun to watch. And you'll see a lot of uh, stuff so, that they don't do in those places anymore. So you know, yeah. we we point yeah. out things like the shark reef at typhoon lagoon and all but like there's a lot of stuff that like used to be there or they used to do that they don't do anymore true uh so they come on to that and then regis and joan talk about the wedding pavilion which was also kind of newish at that point and how people are getting getting married there and then uh they actually interview major mike uh who was the band leader when you would see these shots of like the march main the walt disney world band like marching down main street uh holding the baton uh, his name is michael mm-hmm. davis he actually does still live in orlando and apparently he was on these specials for like years and years uh at, oh. at the time that they interviewed him he had been the band leader there for for 15 years so brianne asks him a little bit uh like how he does stuff and he gives her a little lesson on the baton real fast uh, and then she's distracted by Prince Charming walking by, and the segment kind of ends. Uh, oh, Scoop Leary! Scoop Leary interviewed him. Yeah, Scoop Leary. That's right. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and and then next from the new show at Disney MGM, but not at Disney MGM on Main Street, uh, John Smith and Pocahontas perform "Colors of the Wind" uh, from the show. Uh-huh. So if you if you remember after the movie came out. Uh, as they were like to, likely to do at Disney MGM, they had a live version of the po- Pocahontas show. It's probably called Pocahontas Live on Stage, if I remember correctly. And so they they had a float that they brought in front of the castle and they performed the song. And uh, uh, there is a dancer in a turkey costume that you must see <laughs> during this thing. They have the costumes are very are very cool uh, as they were doing uh, during that time period with the live shows. They were actually kind of ambitious about how they staged stuff. They used a lot of puppetry techniques. They did a lot of more abstract things. So like instead of having a person, for example, in like a coyote costume where it was like a fake cartoony coyote, they actually had like a, a person in like a coyote pelt. Uh, and But right. there's this strangely somewhat realistic like turkey in this thing that that you have to see. Uh, and then the showboat float, and which was also in JT, uh, they're probably still using that. Remember the 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 parade float that looks like a big showboat? It's like the SS Disney. Oh, yeah. It's like that shows up with the Song of the South characters. I'm not making any comments about that, but they sing We Need a Little Christmas and zippity doo as they are like to do. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then we introduced the Via Santa drill, the Via Santa Christmas drill team from Tampa, who does a song. Uh, and it's again, this is one of those like really odd things that there's this marching band drill team, sort of you know amateurish in there, but good, they're fine, I guess. And then uh, Brad Kane uh, from Aladdin, also in street clothes, while everyone else is dressed in costumes. Yeah. Uh, performs, or I should say lip syncs, because he doesn't really perform. All these guys are just lip syncing uh, one jump from the movie soundtrack, which was, there was some staging. It was, you know, okay. And then uh, for our Lakeland listeners, uh, the Kathleen High School marching band comes out and performs Good King Wenceslas, which is a riveting song when performed by a marching band. Uh, And then they stop the show 
because Toy Story was so popular, they show like an an excerpt from another show called The Making of Toy Story for like six minutes (laughs) that has Pete Doctor and John Lasseter and a bunch of folks like giving just like a rundown of how computer animation works and sort of like the approach of how they did things. So that was to get everybody like a bio break, you know, working on the <laughs> working on this. All right. You got six. That's minutes true. Yeah. Here, but, yeah. You know, you needed something in the middle there. The commercials were, weren't long. And enough. it was usually popular. So they're going to capitalize on that as much as they could. And it was oh, and yeah. it was in the can. So it didn't cost anything to throw that in there. Uh, yeah. And when, this this that was funny. When they come back from commercial, there's a overhead shot of the Polynesian and Joan London calls it the Polynesian Beach Resort. <laughs> so just a little mistake there uh and then after that uh it's amazing Re- regis and joan are like really happy uh to promote the fact that there are six ribbon dancers performing with jody benson as she performs part of your world so these are isn't this an olympic sport now like oh you're thinking ry- rhythmic gymnastics with the ball and the ribbon yeah with the, the ribbon so they have these like dancers that. with like the ribbons on the sticks like waving right. them around presumably to be the ocean i guess as she's performing Waves, yeah part of your world and sh- again she's in street clothes but they have flounder and care other characters and then <laughs> this is a really weird part this i guess where they're starting to run out of ideas uh <laughs> <laughs> they they cut to this scene that regis calls a disney character smorgasbord of just like these characters walking down main street and regis and Joan are basically like picking out the names of like characters that they recognize off the top of their heads just being like oh there's goofy and there's so-and-so and there's this person and there's that person and like we are now we're at the one hour point at this point and i'm like i can't, can't yeah. believe i'm watching all this uh did you did you did you fast forward at all huh? no I, you know what i am so dedicated to our listeners i watched the entire thing from start to finish because i excellent. because i care <laughs> that's good job excellent, yeah excellent uh the infamous castle float shows up you know yeah, that's there the one that's always everywhere with the sleeping beauty characters on board and joan mentions that it's the tallest float of the parade and it just makes it under the garland so <laughs> so there you go that comes back uh now one thing that i thought was cool is throughout this show when they go off to a commercial there's these little bumpers that are shot with families wishing the audience merry christmas like hey we're the johnson family from so and so but they do it in different places so they're like actually on attractions when they do it so there's a shot of one on splash mountain and they actually start the bit like right when they're getting ready to like go over the drop and they f- oh, they geez. finish the thing like as they're talking like as they're going down the drop so they have a person in the front with the camera poised backwards and the family's like in the thing behind them in the two rows behind and they're like giving this thing like as they go over the drop which is really cool so they do it there they have a family that's on the tower of terror and they have them do the bit right as it's sitting at the top and then dropping down um they have a, a family with about six or seven uh, inner tubes on the lazy river at Blizzard Beach. And they're up on a bridge and shooting them as they go underneath it, which was cool. They have uh, someone on the Grand Prix. They have a family in Catastrophe Canyon, like right as the water is about to like 
dump on and them. The whole car shaking. Yeah, yeah, it was all, really well done on the water sprites in front of the the Grand Floridian. So they must have had them wired with wireless mics. Because there's like I gotta say it's it's kind of refreshing to see that because you know in the the '70s ones that we've talked about you know they it was just a lot of generic footage that they'd put in and they wouldn't worry about you know anything staged and here they're just asking real people to say something and react and it doesn't feel as forced now it's just you just feel like everybody is there and been told what to yeah. say you know so that it is a little more natural than what you see today so it is. As cheesy as it is, it's still the people did a great job. I don't know how many takes it took, or if they shot like just a bunch yeah. of them and found the best, but like everybody did a fantastic job on their stuff. Uh, there's uh, there's a funny one in, in the '93 to uh, JT. I don't know if you if if, if you noted this, but um, where there's a number of different kids that all come together and they try to sing a song as well, and they're, or they're all talking about their favorite things at Christmas and they're laughing and they're they're having an honest good time with it. It's 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 good. Nice. Uh, so we come back from her. Do you remember the Hollywood Hitmen, the band that was on New York Street? Not until I saw this. <laughs> and just it obviously didn't last. Yeah. So so they do. Uh, they do. We wish you a Merry Christmas. They were they were one of those you know the band units that would show up at places uh, at Disney Gym just as walking entertainment. Um, the Toy Story. They finally go to uh, to the Disney MGM Studios where Joan London says strange things are happening. Uh, so that must mm-hmm. mean the Toy Story Parade. And and as we talked about with the, the Aladdin Parade that you saw, uh, they would often do parades at Disney MGM to coincide with movies that had just come out. So right. uh, so this was the first uh, Toy Story Parade that they had ever done. There was like a block party bash later on, but uh, this was the first one. Uh, it was just called the Toy Story Parade. Uh, and uh, our stars Ben Savage and Ryder Strong uh, reveal themselves as being Green Army men in order to do the promos for it, uh, and they show a ton of the parade. Um, they show the monkeys with the barrel full of monkeys, and this is interesting. So the Mr. Potato Head is not a costume, but he's like on one of the floats, and the monkeys will take like his nose off, and the the character, Mr. Potato Head, is actually, like, talking about, like, hey, you took my nose. Give me my nose back. And they'll take, like, different pieces off of the Potato Head, the eyes and stuff, and put it back on. And he's commenting the whole time about it. So it, I don't think it was real time, but I think there were all of these things staged in the parade where the stuff that was going on the floats uh, yep. were, were kind of, I don't want to say interactive, but, like, they're very self-aware in this parade. Like, there's a there's a thing where Woody is uh, on the parade with like the Mr. Mike and he's talking to the, like he's aware that they're in a parade and they're talking about the parade. And he's like, Hey, you folks having a good time? Like they actually know it's not done in this weird thing where like, I don't know, like it's a pretend show or it's just this thing is happening. Like they're fully aware that, they're in a parade and this whole thing is like based on that concept, which is, I find kind of fascinating for some reason, although it's yeah sounds dumb as I say it out loud. Um, they show, the, <laughs> they show the, uh, the Osborne lights, which I, I believe was the inaugural year at 1995. So they, they tease that a little bit cause that was a new thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and then JD Roth interviews a back to JD Roth. Cause his, his bits are so good. <laughs> uh, I haven't had enough of him. No, yet. can't, can't get enough of him. Uh, 
they're doing a segment on pets and pets and Christmas. So that's kind of the setup. So he pulls this this girl out of the audience named April. <laughs> and uh, she mentions that she has two dogs. One is named Bear and the other one is named Kuda. Uh, so then the princesses arrive with Sarah London, with Sarah London, Joan London's daughter, like in Cinderella's ca- uh, carriage in. Uh, remember that the very famous like Cinderella carriage that shows up all the time and is used at the oh, wedding. Yeah. So she's there. And then uh, Brianne Leary uh, talks with John Dansforth, who she calls Mr. Float. And he kind of discusses the parade, <laughs> some of the parade logistics, the number of units that they have in the parade and some of the sound stuff. And the Snow White is back ice skating behind her while that's going on, which is pretty cool. She's always getting all the info. Yeah, she is. She's She's got a scoop Leary. She's got it. And then uh, Bill Clinton makes another appearance uh, from the White House with Hillary this time. And uh, I guess that's we right. must have been in, in the Gulf War at this point because... Wisely so. They make a uh, quite the point to like thank the troops and their families for their service during the holidays, and they wish everyone a blessed new year. And it's just it's actually a very nice piece. They they don't read the story or anything. It's like it's just very straightforward. Them talking to the camera, uh, and it's really good. And then for the big finish, that uh, that children's choir in front of the Epcot fountains from JT Special, uh, they're back again singing "Let There Be Peace on Earth." Uh, and then finally Santa Claus shows up again in his, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the, they probably still use the float if they still do it with him, like above the house in the sleigh, we got the dancing Christmas trees, ice skating, snow white, snowman, Mrs. Claus in front of her gingerbread float. And, and finally after two hours, it's like, it thankfully comes to a conclusion and they put the little title card up that says that this was a paid program. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this played like a Saturday Night Live episode. Like they put all the decent stuff at the beginning, and then they trash. That's right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because at this point, you're like, we're gonna. The enticement is just that Santa's coming, and like you just gotta wait for Santa to show up, right? But it's funny. It was really taken from the template, and now I'm curious how many other years were done with like this exact same template. Yeah, I mean, we'd have to go back and watch some of the others, but I think we'll wait till next year for that and compare notes. How's yeah, that? and you know it's funny <laughs> when I start when I started to under this, uh, I was you know I was thinking about some of the online controversy of like when they started doing the newer style Christmas specials with Ariana Grande, and I I was like I was pining for like oh I remember <laughs> terrible watching the Christmas parades and why don't they do the Christmas parade? And now that I've watched these, I'm like, Oh God, thank God they don't do that anymore. I'm, <laughs> That's why they I'm didn't glad do they're them, doing right? what they're doing now, even if it doesn't appeal to me personally or like my fa- like the, I think they made the right choice to pivot away from this and try to do something different. Well, thanks for all the research guys. I know, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed our additional holiday episode here. It's always fun to go back and look at this stuff over the years. And, uh, I think that's holiday episode four. Maybe uh, we've done. We, I don't we, know, three, we like to four, we like to mark like the holidays. That's right. That's right. So we'll definitely be back next year. But as many of you know, we all we run one hundred percent on donations here. So if you'd like to make a donation to Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, you can head over to retromagic.org. Uh, pins. Uh, all sorts of other things as well as our ornaments our holiday ornaments that we talked about uh we're giving one of those away this month but uh if you'd like to make a donation we can send that to you and hopefully get it to you before the holiday season ends that'd be great 
and also too we have our shirts and all different things uh, up on t public so if you go to retrowdw.com forward slash support us take you over to there and and how we had somebody write in zach uh wrote to us he says he follows us on twitter for a while started listening to the podcast he's been binge listening we got a lot of binge listeners these days and he wanted to thank us for adding the McFarkles to his uh, Disney Parks lexicon and vocabulary. So he wanted to know if you had a McFarkles family vacation shirt in the works. Oh, that's a cool says, idea. Thank you for the hard work. We, yeah. we should uh, so, actually we should invite our friend Reese to to do the art for that. Yes. Since she actually has uh, she has I don't know if she's publicly done it, but privately she has sent us all art of her vision of the McFarkles. Which I think is... Fa- Including a holiday card last yes. year. Too. Yeah, which I think is fantastic. So uh, I, I will contact her and, and see if she can send that over because uh, it's fantastic. I really, really like it. Um, and as we talked about and hinted in the beginning, and we've told you for a number of episodes now, that uh, 2020 is going to be the year of the film for us, where we've got so many different films and things, and uh, we're just about ready to start. So we wanted to announce that January... Um, we will be taking you back appropriately to the back lot tour of the Disney MGM studios as it was around opening day, 1989. I've got some personal footage from uh, October of that year. I remember getting up. It's almost like people now getting up for galaxy's edge. I, I remember arriving at the studios at six 30 in the morning in October, 1989 to get on what the backstage studio tour, because you needed what, Nearly three hours. Oh yeah, <laughs> between between the tour and the walkie tour. So we're gonna just do. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. However, we're gonna focus on the tram portion of it, and we will do the walking tour for for another I, episode. I believe so because the in, the intent will be let's talk about what was there, and then we're we're gonna talk about where those things are in relationship to Galaxy's Edge today. So um, yep. I, I did some Twitter posts that that got a lot of interest about where the Golden Girls house was. So we'll we'll do a complete walk Miami. Of, of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do a a complete walkthrough of you know where in Batu are you in relation to uh, in relation like to the backlot tour. And I think we can talk about some things such as the queue and the uh, tram turnaround. I was there. Uh, you know, October when we were there, I took a, a walk over to the studios and, and went over to, uh, was it Launch Bay or whatever they mm-hmm. call it? Um, and a lot of the original things still exist over there, including the pathway for the tram. And uh, so it's really interesting to see some of that stuff still there. But it was a big deal back then in 1989. And um, I think I think everybody's going to enjoy going back in time. And uh, JT, this is going to definitely be stuff that you remember as well. So we will... Be back with you in uh, January 2020 for, wow, our sixth year putting podcasts together, which is amazing. And um, we're looking forward to it. So happy holidays. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Thank you for listening. As always, give us a shout out on iTunes if you can. A review there would be great. And uh, we will see you in 2020. With that, Brian. Take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. Follow Todd McCartney and RetroWDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. 
and follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities.